Our speaker today is Josh Wilson, Pastor Chuck Wilson's son. Hey guys, I am Josh Wilson, and I am formerly a missionary in the Philippines. I'm currently back in America right now, as you can see, back in America. Feels good, and um, today I'm going to be bringing you a sermon, and this sermon is going to be called, Who is God, and How Do We Love Him, or How Should We Love Him? Now, sometimes when I'm thinking about God, I I need a little bit of like a gut check almost, almost like I, I need to kind of understand how big God is, because when you're reading the Bible, you know, when you have your Bible, and you're just looking at it, and you're reading it, and you're like... You know, maybe you're not that into it one of these days, and you're just kind of like, ah, oh, I'm just kind of reading it to read it. But, but when you kind of have to understand, you know, who is God, how big is God, and why did he even write us a book? You know, why, why do we even have the Bible? Why, why did he give it to us? And, you know, like, why does he even love us? Like, that type of thing, because we're pretty small. You know, and, and if you ever need, like, a gut check, on just kind of how small we are and just how big God is, uh, I suggest you look up. Because when I was in the Philippines, you know, uh, we basically lived outside. So, you know, I'd go out at night and I'm brushing my teeth and stuff like that. And, and you know, I'd just be brushing my teeth and you, you, I'd look up, you know, while I'm brushing my teeth and I'd look up. And, and there's not as much light pollution there, so you can see all the stars. And I'm looking at all the stars and I'm just like, wow. I'm really small. <laughs> I'm really small. There's like so much out there. And and I started researching. I'm like, how many stars are there? And and how big are they? Like all that stuff cuz cuz if they're big, that means God's bigger, right? So, I was like I was looking into all this stuff. So, basically, I I looked first at our sun. I'm like, okay, well, how big is our sun? Well, it turns out that our sun's pretty big, okay? And it's so big that it could fit about 1.3 million Earths into it. Now, I don't know if you've, you know, been around the world or anything like that, but it takes, you know, roughly 24 hours to fly to Asia or to the Philippines where I was, and that's like the other side of the Earth. And that's really long, and I'm going pretty fast in that airplane, so that just shows how big the Earth is. And if we can fit 1.3 million Earths into the sun, well, that just shows how big the sun is. The sun is massive. <laughs> All right, it's it's kind of like, it's hard to even fathom. Can you even imagine what 1.3 million is? I can't. I can't even think about what, like, a thousand is. It's hard. If you showed me, like, a, a thousand dots on the wall, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you that there's a thousand. Because... The human mind wasn't made to comprehend these these huge numbers. And I did a little bit more research, you know, because I'm like, well, the sun is really big. And how big are other stars? Because there's a lot of stars. You know, when you look up in the sky, all those little dots, those are stars or satellites. Uh, most of them are stars. And, and you're thinking, like, if there's that many, how big are they compared to our sun if we can see them from so far away? Well, it turns out, that I was wrong, <laughs> that our sun isn't really that big, actually. It's more average size. And even in our galaxy, it's not really that big. And I looked into it, and I'm like, well, what's the biggest star in our galaxy? Well, it's a star called UY Scuddy. And uh, UY Scuddy is very large. <laughs> it's very large. It's the biggest star in our galaxy. And, and, I want you to take a guess on, on just how big UI Scuddy is compared to our sun. 
Well, UY Scuddy is 3.69 million, just kidding, billion times bigger than our sun. 3.69 billion times bigger than our sun. And I just said that the sun can fit 1.3 million Earths in it. So I don't want to be the guy who multiplies 1.3 million Earths by, by 3.69 billion. Because that's how many Earths would fit into UY Scuddy. Well, like I said, that's only the biggest star in our universe. Because when we look at the entirety of every solar system that we can see, by the way, that we can see, um, these are all estimates because they're so far away. But, but we have a pretty good guess on what the biggest sun is, or not the biggest sun, the biggest star that we can see. And this is where things get even worse because <laughs> there's, this, there's this star that's called V.Y. Canis Majoris. And I, I, like I said, I want you to take a guess on just how big this thing is compared to the sun. Okay, well, we can fit 9.3 billion of our sun into this thing. Now, you might be wondering, and you might have a question, well, well where are we going to get all of these suns? You know, our sun is pretty average size, so where are we going to get all of these suns to even fit into the you know, V.Y. Canis Majora. So where are we going to get 9.3 billion suns to put into this thing? Well, that's where things get even more interesting because it turns out there's a lot of stars. <laughs> and and that's, a, that's an understatement to say that there's a lot of stars because there are like 1 billion trillion stars that we that we can even see and 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 you might not even know how big a billion trillion is so a billion trillion is 10 to the 20 first 10 to the 22nd it's 10 to the 22nd that's pretty unfathomable let's just say that it's unfathomable and to to put that into perspective i i actually got a quote from a professor at um, UC Santa Barbara. And that professor said that there are roughly um, the same amount of stars in the observable universe, by the way, observable, there's probably more, um, in the observable universe as there are sand, grains of sand on every beach on Earth. Hmm. That's a lot of stars. If you think about how, like, it just pick up a handful of sand. Just, you know, go to a beach. You know, 4th of July is coming up, America. 4th of July is coming up, okay? Just, just, when, when, you're, when you're standing on the beach, I want, I want you to just look down at the sand and just think, there's a lot of stars. <laughs> and, and when you think that, when you think about how many stars there are and how big some of those stars can be, I just want you to think about how, how big and powerful God is in that moment. Just just dwell on it for a second. Just sit and think. Just sit and think. You know, what's that verse? Be still and know that I'm God. Well, be still and look at the sand and know that that's, that's God. Okay? So do that. <laughs> and and it's actually really interesting that that this professor makes that comparison of, of the stars being as abundant as the grains of sand. Because when... I look and I see that verse, I think it's uh, Genesis 22, let me look, Genesis 22, uh, 17, when I see that verse, it says that, or it's God talking to Abraham, and he says that his descendants will be as abundant as the stars in the sky, and as abundant as the sand on the shore, 
or on the beach. I can't remember the exact translation, but, but it's, it's really interesting when you read that verse because you think like, it's almost like God knew that that was an equal comparison. It's like God knew that the stars in the sky was an equal comparison to the sand on the shore. And that's amazing. You know, whether that was intentional or not, it's still amazing to think about either way. But I, I think it's a pretty interesting comparison. Now, you might be wondering, like, kind of why am I why am I saying all this? Well, I just want everyone to be on the same page for how big and how powerful God is. I want everyone to see that that God is so much bigger than we could ever comprehend. OK, and. And when you know all of this stuff about God, and then and then you read these verses in the Bible, okay, like like First Kings eight twenty seven. Let me read that to you right now. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, all of space, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built? So so that is that is him saying that not even the heavens can contain God. Not even the heavens. So all of that space, all of the space, all of the stars, they can't even contain God. God is bigger and more powerful than all of them. Now, I want you to read you another verse in Colossians 1.17. He is before all things. Okay, so before all of the things that he created, he's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. So not only was he before, meaning that he created all of these things. He created all of these things, but not only that, but he holds it all together. It only works because of God. That's amazing. That should just be dumbfounding. When we look at how vast the universe is and how many stars there are and how big those stars are, those big molten lava, burning gas stars. That's what they are. So big, so powerful. And yet, God holds it all together. And not only that, but he made it. And that same God that does all of those things also wrote you a book, the Bible. He God breathed. The Bible is God breathed. His spirit dwells in that book, in that Bible. That's amazing. And that's why I'm sharing all these things with you. Because I think that it's amazing that that same God would even do that for us, would even love us enough to give us a little guidebook, you know, on how to live our life. <laughs> it's amazing. So that's kind of why. Okay. Now I want to read you another verse. It's Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me and those who seek me, find me. Those who seek me, find me. So God is unfathomable. Our brains can't handle it. Like I said, we can't even comprehend what a billion is, let alone uh, a million billion or a million trillion, whatever it was. We, we, can't, we can't comprehend that. But God is saying here that those who seek me find me. And you might be thinking, well, this is in Proverbs and this isn't about God. This is about wisdom. He's saying that if, if you seek wisdom, you will find me. Well, let me read you Proverbs 9 through 10. Or, uh, sorry, 9, 10. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Do you get that? Let me read that again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what is that saying? We have to fear God. We have to respect God and understand just how great He is to have wisdom. And like the like Proverbs 8.17 says, if you seek wisdom, you'll find it. 
and the verse continues, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So basically, what do we gather from that? If we seek God, we will find him. Even though he's so much bigger and so much more powerful than us, we can still understand him by reading his word, by reading the Bible. Okay? So all that being said, that long-winded intro, let's finally get into the word. Okay, so let's let's finally get into the thing that God wrote us. Okay, and today we're going to be going to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And some of you have maybe even heard this passage before, but I think it's a really important one. It's a really important passage in Deuteronomy. So let me read it right now. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Turn there if you want to read it or you can just listen to me. I'll probably put it up on the screen. Okay, verse 4. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames or your houses and your gates. Okay. So, I just pulled a random chunk of the Bible, you know, a random chunk, and I just threw it out there. So what's the context? Where did it come from? Well, this is a sermon, let's just say, that Moses is giving to the Israelites. Okay? And something that's really important to note is that he's giving it at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness, okay? So the, the Israelites have been in the wilderness for 40 years. They're finally getting to the promised land after just lollygagging it. You know, they're just totally blowing it out in the wilderness. They were supposed to be in the promised land 40 years ago. 40 years ago! But they disobeyed God, and well, now they're in the wilderness. They're stuck there for a while. So why why is Moses giving this sermon to these to these guys well you have to understand it's been 40 years Moses is old he knows he's not going to the promised land he knows so he's giving it to the children some of these children don't even know why they're in the wilderness some of them are newborn children so let me let me just give you a little analogy to show you what this might be like for these kids you know the, or, or even just some of the younger people at the time so I want you to imagine that I take everyone that's listening right now and I was just like hey we're going to get in a spaceship, and we're going to go to this new planet. Uh, we're going to start over there, whatever, but it's going to take 40 years to get there on this spaceship. So, you know, we're on this spaceship for 40 years, and, uh, you know, we're kind of bored. And, and you, if you look around, you know, a lot of people that might be on the spaceship might be a little older, so after 40 years, they might not make it to the new Earth, you know what I mean? And um, we're going to be on a spaceship. We're going to be, we're going to be pretty bored, right? We're probably going to have a lot of kids. That's just what we do when we get bored, right? There's not a lot to do on the spaceship. So, moving along. <laughs> so, that's what it'd be like for them. It'd be like them just isolating themselves out into this random wilderness. They're just wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, okay? And they have a lot of kids out there. And that's who Moses is talking to right now. Moses is talking to the young people that will go dwell in the promised land. He's taking all these new people and he's like, Hey, listen, don't fall into the same trap that your parents fell into. 
I want you guys to be better. I want you guys to not be like your parents, to, be, to wander around in the wilderness when, when you could have been in the promised land. I don't want that. I don't want you to fall into the same sin. I want you to listen to my words, okay? And that brings us into verse 4, okay? So verse 4 is what's known as the Shema. Now let me just read that again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, like I said, that's known as the Shema. This is what Jews will recite in the morning and at night. It's like the beginning of their, their prayers, okay? And it's, you know, it's basically a declaration that, that God is powerful. It's, um, and I don't really want to get too in-depth into this because there's a lot of different sects of Jews and they will say different things about it. But basically, um, it's, it's just to acknowledge God's kingship, okay? And that's important to do when we go to God in prayer. I think we should do that. We should praise God because God's amazing. <laughs> like I said, he created everything and he holds it together. Very amazing. We should be thanking him for that. You know, maybe do it very often whenever you get the chance. I mean, we have a lot of time. It's locked down. So anyway, moving on. First five. Okay, and this... I think this is one the most important verse in this entire passage. Maybe even one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. Uh, so yeah, let's read it. Verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Okay? And something that's really important to note in this verse is that heart, can be translated in a few different ways. And two, I think, are uh, of the most important ways it can be translated into is, is heart can be translated into innermost being or mind, either one. And, and I think that's really important to note here because what are these three things that are being listed here? Well, first we have your soul, okay? So your soul, your mind, and your strength. All of these things is basically that's what that's what makes up a human, right? All 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 of the parts of your body, all of your being, your innermost being, your strength and 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 yeah, you know, everything. Everything that there is that a human is is supposed to love God. Love the Lord your God with all of your being. All of it. There is no exception. Okay? And that's really important. Now I just want to give a quick little analogy here, a little little funny story of like some Philippines times. And and when I was over there, uh, obviously Filipinos, you know, they love food. They just love food. All they do is they prepare food. <laughs> they love cooking. They love eating. Okay. And something that they love even more than food is salt. Okay. And I like salt too. Uh, I just don't like salt when it's like too much you know what i mean we're americans we just don't eat that much salt and well not as much salt as as some countries do so basically um they would serve a dish and they preserve it in salt and then when they serve it they put more salt on it whether it's soy sauce or just literally just more salt and i'm sitting there and I, they give it to me and i like take a bite out of it and you know like <laughs> i don't know i keep eating this <laughs> it's really hard to eat and i don't want to be rude so i i have to keep eating it now now, if I wanted to be less rude and but still didn't want all the salt, is there any way that I could like you know take the salt off the food, make it less salty? No, because the salt has now become infused. It's been cooked in salt. It's infused with the food, okay? And and salt is is God. That's what God should be like in our body. God should be so infused, so ingrained in our body, in our in our hearts, in our souls, and in our strength. God should be loved by all of those things, all at once, okay? 
that's what it needs to be like. It needs to be like the saltiness in that food. No matter what I did to that food, it's going to be salty. It's just salty. That's how it's going to be. And, I mean, there's obvious parallels here to Christians being salt and light, but I don't really want to go into that because we have a lot to cover. So, let's move on. Now, verses uh, 6 and 7, okay? These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now, I often dwell on this, these two verses um, because I don't know if you've noticed, but we waste a lot of time, whether it's, you know, watching TV or I don't know. What do people do? Like playing sports. You know, none of these things are necessarily bad, but we waste a lot of time sometimes. You know, we spend a little bit too much time on certain hobbies or, or you know, just literally just wasting time doing nothing. And it's really easy to get distracted. You know, it's especially it's really easy to notice these things now, especially during the lockdown, because you have a lot of free time. And what do you fill your free time with? You know, usually it's just wasting time watching TV, some mindless, stupid TV show, whatever it is. I don't know, whatever people do. And and they waste all of this time. And And when you read a verse like this one where it says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up, do you do that? <laughs> do you spend that much time, you know, focusing on, on the Bible, reading the Bible, being in God's Word, being in communion with God, praying, all these things? Do you do these things? Well, I know I don't all the time. I'm not always excited to open up my Bible. I know I'm not. But it's it's what we should be. <laughs> it's what we should do. And and the Bible is in, in Moses here. You know, he's giving this sermon to, to these kids and he's setting them up for success. He doesn't want them to fall into the same trap. He's saying this to them and we need to take note of it. If we want to be successful, we also have to do these things. It's really important. Now, I I know that a lot of us get really distracted. I know a lot of us do. It's really easy to get distracted, especially now. I think it's even harder. You know, we're not just sitting around in the desert. We have other things to do. You know, well, I was in the Philippines, you know, sometimes the, the internet would go out and the power would go out and we would just kind of be sitting there like, wow, this is what it would be like to be in the desert with Moses. <laughs> and, and it's really easy to, to read your Bible in those moments because there's no distractions. And, and you know, there was a, a pastor told me one time, there's this, um, there's this, quote that he had I guess let's just say and his quote was Satan is the king of giving you good things he's the master at giving you good things but he's doing it to distract you from the best thing okay now I have a, a quick video I want to show um, and this video is is uh, basically you know, you'll see, but it is really funny, and it just shows how distracted we can get. It just shows how easy it is to get distracted by all these really good things, when in reality, there's the end goal. There's the, there's God. You know, the best thing. Okay, now here, let's just watch this video, and then we'll uh, continue. It's a great video. I love that one. <laughs> just uh, we're all that dog. Honestly, we're all that dog. You know, maybe not the first one is great dog. You know, it runs right through, right to God. You know, but uh, we're all the golden retriever. You know, we're all going to be you know chasing after all these nice, nice little TV shows, these nice little hobbies. We're all going to do all these things instead of going to God. You know, the best thing. Now, have any of you ever experienced like being on fire for God? 
you know, we, we toss that term around all the time. Like, what does it kind of really mean? It just kind of means like you're motivated for a short time, but the fire burns out usually, and then you go back to doing, you know, whatever you do. Well, when, when you're on fire for God, you have all of this energy, all like you just feel filled with the Holy Spirit. You're like, where's all this energy coming from? Usually I'm just tired all the time, but now no matter what, like I'm, we're out here preaching the word, evangelizing, like doing all these things for God and it's great. And we're, we're trying really hard and we're in great communion with God. We're praying all the time. We're reading our Bible all the time and you just feel great. So why, why do we slip into these other things that are just empty and meaningless? Like when we're watching this TV show, how often are we just like, I don't even remember the last five episodes I watched. I don't know why I watched it. But after, you know, after those times when you're, you know, out evangelizing and preaching the word of God, you know, and you're on fire and you're ready to go. But, like, when you have that, how can you ever be satisfied with any of these other meaningless things anymore? And that's kind of how it has to be. You have to be, you know, filled with the spirit, you know filled with the word of God. And that's kind of how you, you keep from being distracted by these meaningless things. You have to keep Satan away, push these other distractions away. And that's kind of just how it has to be. Now, obviously in, in verse six, like I'm probably not speaking to that many parents right now because um, this is directed for um, college students for the record. Um, we're supposed to be impressing this on our children. And uh, that's not to say not all college kids can have uh, kids of their own because some do. Um, but Basically, this is like, you know, when you read that, impress this on your children, impress them on your children, impress the word of God on your children. You want to raise them up in the way they should go, like Proverbs says. Proverbs says, you know, raise a child up in the way it should go and they will not turn from you. That's really important. We have to infuse the word of God in everything we do. So is it any surprise that people always seem to want to take the Bible out of things? You know, like take prayer out of the schools or, you know, remove the Ten Commandments from the Supreme Court. Or like all, you know, is it any surprise that Satan would want to do these things? I don't think so. I don't think it's that surprising. Satan knows how powerful the Word of God is. So anything he can do to get rid of it and take it away or distract us from reading it, he's going to do it. Satan, I, I always say Satan's really good. He's really good at what he does. Because he knows exactly what your desires are, and he's going to throw those desires at you like a brick to get you from reading your Bible. So, it's just something to think about. A little tangent there, sorry about that. Let's get back into the Word. <laughs> Alright, let's go to verse 8 and 9. Okay. Tie them as a symbol on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them down on the door frames of your houses, and on your gates. Okay. When you read those verses, what what do you feel like it's telling you to do? Because there's modern day Jews who will literally take the, the scripture, they'll take like a little scroll and they'll put it in a little box and they'll tie it to their forehead. It's kind of funny um, to an outsider. It's kind of normal for them. But um, and they'll also tie it to their hands or to their wrists. Sorry. Um, and it, you know, it's a little funny for us, but it's they're taking it literally. And you know, maybe it was meant to be taken literally. Maybe not. I'd argue that we should take it kind of literally, where we literally put the Word of God in places where we will see them often, very often. So put it on your mirror, put it 
on your on the dashboard of your car. You know, when you're yelling at someone else and you see that verse on your dashboard, and you're like, mm, maybe I should stop yelling. That's what you got to do. I think that's what we all have to do. Now, you have to you have to put these things on your door frames and all around so that you're you're reading the word all the time. And and I, I really encourage people to memorize verses. And I get lazy with this sometimes. Trust me. But memorize the Bible. Memorize it. I I want to kind of. Uh, uh, later on, I'll kind of bring this in more, but you should really memorize the Bible and and have it in your head. Because if you're always dwelling on the Bible, you you will always be be ready to go if someone confronts you about something or if someone even has a question. You you already have the the scripture in your head, and and when you're filled with the scripture, you are filled with the Spirit, because you're filled with the Spirit of God. The Bible is the Spirit of God. And you can have the Spirit of God in your head by memorizing. It's really good. It's great stuff. This is motivating me to get memorizing again because I've been slacking lately. Sorry. But <laughs> it's really good stuff. I promise. You won't regret it if you memorize a verse. It's really good. So I, I kind of want to end with, um, with tying this into the New Testament because th this is really important stuff here. Okay. And, and I want to bring it to Romans 12 too. Okay. You probably have heard this before, but I think it's a very important verse. I, I keep saying that. All verses are very important. This one is also very important. Even more important than some others. Anyway, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how, let's just say, how, how do we be transformed? How do we renew our minds? Well, like I said earlier, memorize the Bible. Read the Bible. Be in the Word all the time. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. If you do those things, if you impress them on your children, if you talk about them all the time when you're walking around, when you lie down and when you get up, if you do all of these things, what more can you do? You're being filled with the Spirit. Your mind is being renewed. When you're reading the Word of God, you just learn. You get wisdom. You pray to God and you're like, God, give me the truth. Give me the truth in your Word. And then you go to the Bible and you start reading and then you just like, wow, I'm learning so much. It's, it's amazing that this book from, from thousands of years ago still applies today. And it's amazing what it can do to people. What it does to me, what it does to my friends. Like I, I, I use my friends as an example because I don't like talking about myself. But w when I talk to some of my friends, some of my friends used to be drug addicts, alcoholics, the, the worst people you could find, criminals, <laughs> literal criminals. And and they they become Christians and they get into the Word and they start reading the Word and they change. And then all of a sudden they're just new people. I talk to some of them. Some of them I wasn't even involved in any of their life until more recently. And and they're talking to me like I'm a Christian now and I'm I'm, I'm feeling great. And I'm like, who are you? That should be what it's like when we become Christians. We should be so into the Word and so transformed and renewed by the Word. That's what we need. We need all that. It's great for our souls. It saves our souls. It's great. So, I don't know. I, I, I get very passionate about this, as you can tell. So, so I like looking at the examples in the Bible. We have, I love, I love Paul. Paul's great. Everyone loves, well, not everyone loves Paul. I love Paul. When I read Paul, Paul shares so many of what, so many, so many things with what I'm saying right now. Paul 
has the Bible memorized. He proved it often. You know, he didn't have the New Testament. He wrote the New Testament. He had the Old Testament. Paul spent the majority of his life strictly reading the Bible. He was a Pharisee. He studied the Bible. I don't know if you know much about the Pharisees, but they pride themselves on being the smartest. And, and the Bible says that Paul was actually far exceeding all others. In fact, when he's talking to some of the, to the other Pharisees after he converted, when he's saying that, they say to him, Paul, you've been studying too much. You're going crazy from all of your knowledge. That's, that shows how much he knew. And he proved it often. He's constantly quoting the Old Testament. When I'm reading in the Old Testament, when I'm re especially the prophets, when I'm reading in there, I'm reading verses and I'm like, wait a minute, that's in the New Testament. Paul said that. That's amazing. <laughs> Paul had that memorized and he just quoted it. And he does that often. And I... Another example of this is, is Stephen. I, I love the story of Stephen. When he's speaking in front of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, you know, when he's when he's standing there, because what does he do? He barely says any of his own words. He almost exclusively quotes scripture in his entire speech, whether it's summarizing a story all the way up from like, you know, Abraham and on. He's summarizing stories, but they're all from the Old Testament. And he directly quotes um, Isaiah and Amos. How many of you have even read Amos? been a while for me <laughs> i'm just saying like he, that he had it memorized and he quoted it that's amazing that he could do these things while under pressure by the way speaking in front of the pharisees you know the holy people of the time or like i should say like the the spiritual people i don't know what you want to say they were very knowledgeable they knew the bible also or the old testament also but after stephen gets done quoting all of this stuff to them what do they do well they take him outside and they start stoning him for telling the truth. He's saying that Jesus is fulfilling all of these things in Isaiah and in Amos and all these things. He's, he's calling them out. He's like saying, if you knew the Bible, you would also know that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says all of this with so much passion. And he really gets them. He really sticks them. And you're reading it and you're like, dang, Stephen, get them. Get the Pharisees, you know? And you're thinking like, wow, he really knew the Bible. But after he says all this stuff, oh, and by the way, who was there? Who was there when he was doing that? Saul. Paul. Paul was there while Stephen was giving this speech. He was there when they stoned him. When they brought Stephen outside and they stoned him, Paul was there watching over the jackets, watching as Stephen was killed. And does anyone remember what Stephen said as he was being killed? Does anyone remember? God, don't hold this against them. Don't hold the sin against them. What does it take for a man to say something like that? If, if, just think for a second. If someone even punched you in the face, could you say that? Could you say, God, don't hold that sin against them? No, you couldn't. I can't. It's hard. It's really hard. Only the power of God can transform a man to the point where he can he can love those who are killing him. They are literally crushing him with stones right now. Throwing stones at him, crushing him with stones. And he's crying out to God, looking to the sky. God, don't hold this against them. Need I even point out the parallel of Jesus? What did Jesus say on the cross? 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And by the way, this is not uncommon between, you know, people, Christians being martyred. Christians being martyred, I hear it all the time. Anytime you're reading about Christian martyrs, how many times do you hear, God, don't hold this against them. God, let them see the truth. Praying for those who are persecuting you. That's hard to do. You have to have a love that is on another level. And that's God. God loves us. And reading his word helps us to love others in the same way God does. That's what the Bible does. You become infused with the spirit. It's amazing. It's transformative. It's inseparable with your soul. That's what I'm talking about. That's what the Bible is. That's what's in the Word. So when you read the Word, you need to be filled with it. Just like Moses is saying to all these kids, he's like, do not forget this. Your parents did, and that's why we were in the wilderness. You can't do what they did. You have to be transformed by the Bible. Let it fill every part of your spirit. That's what the Bible wants from us. <sighs> That's what God wants for all of us. I am 100% convinced that the Bible can save anyone. God can save anyone. The Word of God has a power that is beyond anything that we can comprehend. God is holding everything together. All of those stars, all billion trillion stars, and that, that one big star that's 9.3 billion times bigger than our sun, He's holding it together. He's holding you together. The atoms that make up your body, that make up this shirt, that make up this flesh, all of it. He is holding it all together. And he loves all of us. We need to learn to love like him. And that's what happens when you get into the word and let it fill your spirit. Let's pray. Let's pray. Go to God. Go to God right now. And beg him. Praise him for being powerful. And then beg him to fill you with his spirit. That's what we need. That's what everyone needs. Let's pray. Dear God, you are amazing. You are so powerful. Why you would even pay attention to us makes no sense to me. We are so small, so insignificant compared to your creation. The entirety of creation can't even hold you, God. It can't even hold you. And yet, you are so much bigger and more powerful than all of it. So much more than we could ever comprehend. And we love you because you loved us. You sent your son to die for us. It's, it's crazy to even think that, that you would even care enough to do such a thing. But you do. And, and I, I'm sitting here begging that, that not only me, but anyone who is listening to this right now will also be filled with the Spirit. We'll, we'll delve into the Word and spend time on it. Ten minutes a day, an hour a day, whatever it is, a chapter a day, whatever it is, anything is better than nothing. And to not just to read it, but let it fill their spirit. Fill their spirit. That's what I'm asking for today. That is what we should all be praying for every day. 
Thank you for keeping us alive, sustaining us in all that we do, God. Fill us with your spirit, God. In Jesus' name, amen.